What's going on, coaches? We had a great weekend. Coach Wallace came down from Iowa down here to Oklahoma. Uh, we talked to Coach Millison on Saturday. That episode will be up soon in Talking Ball on RTP Premium. Uh, me and Coach Wallace got to also do some golfing. We got to put in, uh, get recorded another three episodes of Talking Ball uh, with a few other teams, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, North Dakota State, you and I, uh, a few clips and, and different things from those games. Uh, and then we also got to um, just hang out for the weekend and, and talk RTP and some of the things that are going to be coming these next few years. So um, we're excited for that. You guys can follow us. Uh, go over to YouTube. Subscribe to us. We've got some of our podcasts now that are coming out there. YouTube.com slash RunThePower. Obviously, our, our website, RunThePower.com, with all of our different videos and uh, coaches summits all of our gear, and then obviously the podcast as well, all over there at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Story of the Season. Story of the Season helps high school and college football teams share their story like never before. Each week, they collect all your video highlights, articles, interviews, and other content and publish a digital game recap magazine that captures everything that happened on and off the field. At the end of the season, they publish a digital yearbook covering each game. The revenue schools make from selling our subscriptions and ads more than covers the production fee and provides coaches with an extra funding for their program. Story of the Season requires zero effort for coaches and gives them an incredible tool to engage the world with their team. Contact Chris Herman by emailing chris at storyoftheseason.com to learn more or call 518 944 Three three one one, or find them over at Twitter at Story the Season. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces twenty to thirty three percent of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. You get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our, free show, uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football on this episode of rtp we talk with vincent cash dollar coach cash dollar is the o-line coach and running game coordinator at emporia state university in emporia kansas listen as we talk with coach cash dollar about all things offensive line including an in-depth talk about pass protection schemes and techniques and how to coach up your centers you can follow coach cash dollar on twitter at coach cash one hope you guys enjoy My name is Vince Cashdollar, and uh, I am from Newark, Ohio. I'm an Ohio guy, born and bred. Uh, grew up about 30 minutes east of Columbus. Uh, went to Newark High School, um, town called Newark, Ohio, blue collar, Midwest city. Um, you know, blew, grew up playing a bunch of sports. Um, played a bunch of sports as a kid. My dad played Division One college football a long time ago, back far, far away. 
Um, so football was always something I loved and had an interest in. Um, but my father actually wouldn't let me play football until I was in seventh grade. Um, I played soccer when I was a kid. I played basketball, kinds of sports. And so I really only played football for kind of a short span of my life from basically middle school and through college, um, but always loved the game. Um, you know, was Ohio's a football state, and that's why I love growing up there. Um, from there, um, I played college football at Ashland University, uh, Division II school in Northeast Ohio. Uh, played for Lee Owens there. Um, coach Lee Owens was my head coach, and he did a great job with our program. Um, and I'm very proud Ashland University alum. You know, one of the things that I found out, um, I love running power because that's one of the things that we really put an emphasis on uh, when I was in college. Um, we started out as my first year, I was a redshirt freshman, um, and we were kind of the spread offense and doing those kind of things. And I think it was either the second or third game. Um, we, we played Grand Valley State, and you can ask the coaches at Ashland this, we kind of went out there and were a little bit physically, you know, overmatched at that, at that point where we were at in the program. And they kind of went to the drawing board and we went to more of a power style offense. And by my senior year, I mean, I remember games where we were, I played center. Uh, we were running power. I think one game we ran power 14 or 15 times in a row. <laughs> um, you know, we were under center, I pros. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were power counter team all the way, heavy personnel. And they still do that to this day. You know, that's what that program hangs its hat on. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win some games there. We went to the NCAA playoffs, which was awesome. I was fortunate to receive some individual awards, and heck, all I did was back block for four years. You know, I, mean, I just defended the backside A-gap, you know, and <laughs> widened the backside A-gap. You know, I had some really good backs and some really good guards and good quarterbacks, and all I did was make sure I didn't get beat over the top on the back block. Um, from there, started my coaching journey at Ohio University in the MAC, um, where I worked as a quality control coach. Um, there for Coach Solich, um, was very fortunate to work for that coaching staff, uh, really right out of college, the connection between Coach Owens and Coach Solich to the AFCA, and uh, it was a game changer for me. It was a game changer to work for a very professional seasoned staff as a young coach, uh, learned how to be a professional, learned how to study film, uh, learned how to run a program, learned how to win, you know, to, to be a coach and have winning football, you know, Coach Solich is known, and that program is known for running the ball. You know, you're going to run the football, you're going to play great defense, you're going to find ways to win games. Um, and so that was really a, a, I was a privilege, and I, I, I realized how fortunate I was to be right out of college to work for that staff and, and such a, an adult group of coaches and veteran coaches. From there, I moved on in the coaching profession. I was a graduate assistant at West Virginia University in the Big 12 um, under the late Bill Stewart and uh, Dana Holgerson. I was at WVU for three years, and we were fortunate to have some pretty darn good football players when I was there, some great coaches um, that have gone on to do some awesome things and really learned at WVU about the spread offense, you know, and, and how to attack people from the spread. And we were more of a zone blocking team, drop back, and all those things that you kind of associate with the spread offense, RPOs, um, and kind of learned that phase of things. So had a great experience there. And then after WVU, I left and went to Manchester University for my first big boy job, my first full-time job, full-time benefits, um, where I entered at Division Three level, which I loved coaching at for the last seven years of my career. It's been an unbelievable experience with great kids. Um, entered as the offensive line coach under Shannon Griffith um, as the recruiting coordinator and line coach. And then uh, coach Jensen uh, retained me as the offensive line coach and actually promoted me to the offensive coordinator. 
Um, so I got to call plays for the last four years. And uh, like I said, just had a great experience there. Great kids, hardworking, blue collar, loved the game of football and honestly didn't do it for a, a scholarship. You know, they just love playing the game. Um, and then recently, um, I took a new position um, at Division II Emporia State University um, in Kansas, where I'm going to be working under Coach Garen Higgins. Um, and excited to be a part of the program. Um, a lot of really good things happening there. And I'm going to be the offensive line coach and running game coordinator of Emporia next season. Well, Coach, obviously uh, with that, I, I've got um, – maybe not obviously, but obviously to me, I've, I've got, you know, several questions from that. I think maybe my first one is – uh, and you, you know, you kind of played it off as as a joke or or easy to to back block fifteen times in a row. Um, but but I've played center a little bit, and, and and I know there's maybe some cliche answers for you know a back block. But I also know that I've got some centers that do it really really well, and I've got some centers that don't do it as well. Um, and and I I think I've got a pretty good grasp on a lot of different offensive line techniques. I don't feel as comfortable with the back block as far as technique goes. I mean, we, we get a lot of reps at it with our centers. And so they, they, by virtue of doing it a bunch, I think they get better at it, obviously. But mm -hmm. what, what are some of your – but I don't, still don't feel like I'm, I'm coaching them at the highest level I could on, on a back block because uh, it's a super important for that play, a very, very important – uh, block, you know, getting the guy, not let him cross your face, or if he's going to cross your face, make sure that that he's got depth crossing your face, so you can bend, you know, bend power back behind that a gap. What are some of your your coaching points, or uh, any any hints or tips that you've that actually work that you've used uh, in that style offense? Yeah, so the the big thing, I'll just start with having a three technique back there, right? Which I think is the the more difficult look for a center because you got to go further and you got to get flatter. And that guy, especially if he's a penetrator, um, you know, he can get through there. So I say the number one coaching point for having a great back block versus a, a three technique back there is have a tackle. that's not going to put you out on an Island. Um, one of the coaching <laughs> points that I always tell my center, or I always tell the offensive line is that if we have a three technique on the back side of, of any gap scheme run, right, we're running power counter GT, you know, any of those kind of things. If I have a three technique on the backside of a gap scheme run, it is the tackle's responsibility to get the free stop to start with, right? His job is to help me on the backside. Now, I teach a wheel block on the backside. I'm going to keep my inside arm on that three technique. I'm going to try to keep my outside arm free, um, but I'm going to wheel down there and get it stopped. On the back block for the center, um, really with a three technique back there, I teach a three-step progression for those guys um, to be able to get their footwork square to the backside. So if I've got a backside three technique. I'm going to snap the ball. All right, first step, I'm actually going to bucket and lose a little bit of ground. So if I'm back blocking to my left, I'm going to lose a little bit of ground with my left foot. All right, second step, all right, is going to be able to get me square. And I'm aiming for the V of the neck of that defender. All right, I'm aiming for the V of the neck to try to get him pinned to the backside so we can vice that on the backside. So one, two, three, and on my third step, I want to try to make contact on that guy. Now, the, the two things that you have to watch out for with the three technique coming back there. Number one is if you're going to get the backside linebacker running through right behind you, right? One of the power killers and gap scheme killers that you have is if that will linebacker skins behind the back block, right? And, and cuts that off, off your backside hip, you know, if you got a two eye on the other side. So I tell that guy, he's got to read that on his second step. All right. So one, two, 
and he's got to perif the backside linebacker to make sure he's not going to take that play side a gap or play over top of me if he's not if he's just a flow player over the top and chasing my puller then my third step is back to be able to get square on that guy on the backside. the other thing that you have to do is by using a three-step read on it I want to make sure that I'm not going to get that TE stunt on the backside that you have sometimes, which is another power killer, right? Someone trying mm -hmm. to chase the back block over the back. So you want to make sure that on that second step, same thing, I'm clearing twist. It's the same scenario as a twist. If we were running a TE stunt and it was a pass protection situation, the tackle has to be the one that communicates, hey, twist, 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 to get me to slow down to be able to be ready for that guy to play back over the top. And then the tackle can come in and two-hand that because typically the three techniques got to loop over the top. Gotcha. So typically that's the way I teach it, a three-step progression when you got a three technique back there. When you've got a shade or a two-eye, let's just start with the two-eye. When you've got a two-eye, typically I still tell the tackle to wheel down just in case you get the, the defense playing back over the top, right? You're going to get top stunt. You're going to get the tackles playing over the top. So I still have him step down versus two-eye. I'm still going to aim for the V of the neck, but typically that's going to happen on two steps, right? You're not going to be able to get that third, you know, and fourth step down at times when you're going to the backside. You're going to have to get two steps down in the V of the neck. I think hand placement's also really crucial. I don't want to go by him, all right? I want to make sure that my inside hand, so if I'm going left, my inside hand is trying to get underneath that breastplate, all right, right on the frame of his chest. And then my outside hand is either on top of the inside shoulder pad or near shoulder pad, or it is grabbing right onto that part right underneath his armpit, right underneath his armpit. So I get two hands on him in control so I can get my hips into it. I think that's really the hard part. One of the hard parts on a back block is finding your surface with your hands because you're not a traditional zone block where he's right in front of you. You're actually coming back on an angle, kind of similar to a down block on a pin pull. So if I got a two eye on the backside, I'm going to try to get one, two down, get my hands inside, one on the underneath on the breastplate, the other one inside near that armpit to get control to prevent him from being over the top to get my hips underneath. If I've got a shade. I tell my tackle on the backside, you're free. The only thing you have to do is you need to make sure that the B gap is not going to have a run through to it. But honestly, you can pass that that five technique to get him up the field. When it comes to a true shade, I actually tell our center to near step that. All right, so if that guy's heavy on my right shoulder, I'm going to step it with my near foot. So he's on my left shoulder. I'm going to step with my left foot, and then I'm going to bring my second foot, my right foot down to try to hip into it and get my hands underneath in that same position. I think if you don't near step it, if you actually step bucket or step up the field, you get blown back a lot. Right. So if I near step that, I'm going to get my hip right near foot, near hip into that block and then be able to turn and try to hip into it to prevent that guy from playing back over the top. Love it. So so when you talk and this is one that's always confused me a little bit. So when you talk via the neck as that aiming point, are you talking the in your playing center? Are yep. you looking at the V of his neck right now before the snap or are you assuming his via his neck is going to come up field? and you're aiming at where that V of the neck is going to be? That's a great question. And, yes, typically it's where it's going to be, 100%, because it's going to move. It's kind of the same thing when you tell back an aiming point on a zone running play, right? You tell the back he's aiming for the inside leg of the guard, but that's going to move. You know, I mean, the ball is going to snap, and that's going to move. So, yeah, I would I tell them that, that your body is going to be able to adjust with the move back over the top but your aiming point needs to be where he's going to be a little bit. And that way you don't undershoot it. Because if I aim for the V of the neck on the, and he doesn't move, 
then I'm going to aim for it and he's going to be able to play over the top and I haven't got my body between him and the ball. So yes, 100%. I want to anticipate a little bit of movement. Again, my backside tackle needs to help on the penetration. But yes, he's going to play up the field a little bit, just get my body between him. And then, and then kind of my, my other question with, and it's not with that, but it is with the back block. You brought up something with that three, five twist that mm-hmm. it's almost to me so simple that I can't believe I, I've never thought of that, but it, it is just like a pass pro twist and, and the tackle sees that looper. So he's got to communicate it and, and bang the penetrator. So I, I love that. Uh, I've already stolen that from you, coach, but curious, do you guys ever get like the, the double twos um, and, and get where, they're playing a game of the penetrator is going to be the guy that's opposite of the center. Uh, you, you know, we've seen it. Maybe only one team has done it, but they get in twos or two eyes. And, and if the center blocks back, you know, at that D lineman, that D lineman is going to loop. And, and then the two eye that it, the center's blocking away from goes and picks the center. Ha, have you guys dealt with any, anyone picking your center and trying to loop loop at all? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I think helps with that, um, is your so let's say we're running power to the right or a gap scheme to the right and I'm back blocking to my left and they're going to loop stun away from that as soon as the right guard takes his for me it's a jab it pop it all right he's going to jab it jab it step means I'm stepping inside I'm going to jab it pop it on my track on my gap scheme if he feels it go away one of the things that I tell him is that something goes away something's coming back all right and I need to shoulder in and get the A-gap player stopped. One of the things that I think helps is I go back to my base rules. When I install gap scheme, I tell the guys, listen, the ball's going right, and let's say other than we're running duo, right, your true duo you know, play where we don't have a puller. If we have a puller and I'm running gap scheme left, or excuse me, gap scheme right, I have the A-gap. I know there's a guy standing there, and if, yes, if everything stays clear, nothing changes, yes, I'm going to block the guy in the A-gap, but if he goes away, typically in a four-man front specifically, you know, you're not playing an odd front, they're going to be gap sound. Something's coming back to that A-gap. So I'm going to go from green light, right? Green light means I'm coming off the ball to rocket, right? I'm going to get movement, your typical A-gap run, your power run. I'm going to destroy the A-gap and get it moved. If that, does, if that moves out of the way, then I'm going to go yellow light. I'm going to slow down a little bit, be able to have some kind of twist or if something's coming back over the top to get it stopped. So it's just something, a feel thing that you can work on. But I think teaching it that way helps that to be able to pass that off on the backside if they do end up chasing and twisting on power like that. Coach, you know, you talk about the tight shade, and I feel like, too, that the, the other thing that gave us, you know, problems every now and again, you know, the, the tight shade, you know, would feel the back block. He sees the, you know, obviously the guard pulls, and he's trying to take the gap back, and he works across the center's face you know, what are some things you're doing to kind of help, you know, or at least drill, you know, with the center? Because I, th- I always thought that was kind of tough. You know, the guy works back into it, and there's just kind of a log jam now in, in A-gap. What are some, maybe some coaching points or cues you're giving the center, you know, when, when that guy feels it and tries to work back over the top of him? What are you telling that guy? Well, first thing I'll tell you is I listened to your guys' podcast with Coach Riley, which, by the way, was also something on my bucket list, right? I mean, everybody <laughs> everybody loves it. And, and I saw the same clip, the Oklahoma clip you guys mentioned with the line back on power and all that. I thought that was pretty cool uh, for the guy playing over the top. One of the things that I do tell those guys um, is, number one, is that your base rule is to not let that guy beat you over the top. Now, sometimes that can be coach speak, right? And I've been there. I played the position, right? I mean, if that human being is literally playing – 
over top that hard, you're not going to be able to stop him. So one of the phrases I use is if he does beat you over the top, get him going somewhere fast. All right. If he's going to get me over the top, get him moving somewhere fast because he's moving laterally, use his momentum against him and then let the back make you right. Let the back be able to cut that back. Yeah. Maybe sometimes, you know, if the backside linebacker doesn't flow, I mean, at times, though, if you get the guard really feeling that and he feels that play side A-gap close and he's able to hit the brakes because he's got enough depth on his pull to be able to insert, then you still got a chance to be able to find your linebacker or if they spill and wrap it. Um, but by getting that guy going somewhere fast, it creates a really big backside seam that gives the back enough for him to be able to cut. Number two is actually we started running into this a lot this year because I, I ran a ton of gap scheme. All right, my tailback was a really good player, had a really good offensive line. Um, we ran a lot of gap scheme runs, so a lot of people were chasing our pullers, kind of just what you said. One of the counterpunch runs that we actually installed this year to try to help that was we installed mid-zone going opposite with the puller going the other way. So let's say we're running mid-zone right, and the tailback's aiming point is the play side leg of the tackle. We're going to pull that left guard opposite kind of in your influence style. I'm going to plus one block between the center and the left guard to the point linebacker on the play side. So that nose plays over the top. They chase my puller, but we're running mid zone back to the left. And that was a great way to be able to get people to slow down from playing so hard over the top on everything because it looks like power and it ends up being actually mid zone and it popped out the play side. Awesome. I love it. So, Shoot coach, defensive guys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you watched the same clip as we did. So, so I'm curious. What did What did you think? Do you think it was? And I'm gonna go get it from. And I can't tell it on the podcast, I guess. But <laughs> I'm I'm gonna learn for sure what it was. What What did you feel like it was? Did you think it was a a called play, or did you think? I mean, what I was under the assumption was that the guard was trying to to fit it tight, and he found his first hole. It just happened to be off that backside, and I'm sure they were. They had some hints and tips that maybe that was coming, but I still kind of think it was just called A-gap power. I think if you told me either way and you told me either way watching it, I believe either one. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if, if you sat there and told me that they coached that all week and they worked on it, I believe it, right? Because when you're a gap scheme team, there are certain things, you know, when you're a certain run scheme, you know certain things you're going to get, right? Walking into each game, you're a zone blocking team, you're going to see some kind of bear and all that stuff. So, but on the other side of it, I could see them coaching that, right? I could see them saying, you know, if this happens and finding your insert and being a good football player, you know, and just understanding the scheme. So, yeah, I'm with you, though. I mean, I saw that, and as a, as a guy that ran a lot of gap scheme this year, I was kind of like, oh, man, that's, that's good stuff now. So, <laughs> so um, I, I love talking to guys that were centers because for whatever reason it seems like, and maybe it's just the ones that I've known, centers were the best cheaters. I mean, they had all <laughs> – types of hints or tricks or whatever it was it, it was it was uncanny how many different we were just talking on another podcast about um you know the center I had in college we were on silent count and and yeah. he was my best friend but uh, I hated him on silent because he would snap it and then yell go so he could get mm -hmm. a, a half second head start but uh, yeah. they all they've all got hints and, and tips and tricks uh, did you have any you know, and it's been a while, I guess, now since you've played, but you, and I'm sure you've coached it to your centers. Do you have any uh, tips, tricks, hints for for those guys uh, when they're in when they're in pass pro, um, and and you're asking them to, you know, either either it's five for five because they're giving you a bear look, or 
he's set into a shade and and now you know as much as you want to call it zone it, it turns into man if you're asking him to stay with the shade if he crosses his face on pass protection did you have mm-hmm. any good tips or tricks uh, for a center in pass protection yeah, so I learned this from my offensive line coach at Ashland. His name's Doug Geyser, and, and Coach Geyser is one of the biggest influences I've had in my career, and he's, he is an absolutely fantastic offensive line coach. He actually taught me, because I was a right-handed center, he taught me versus a shade that I'd actually stab the shade with my offhand in the top of the crown of the helmet to give me, give me a chance to be able to get back off the ball. So I wouldn't grab his face mask, right? Not, not, a, not a face mask penalty. But as soon as I'd snap, the initial reaction was ball between my legs, left hand comes up, and I'm going to hit that, that defense alignment right in the crown of his helmet. That gave me enough time, specifically if the guy was on my snap hand side, that I was able to get over there and keep him off me with my hand between my legs when I was going to snap. I thought that was a, a really good just coaching point trick that really works. And you'd be amazed. Like if you hit it square and we used to practice it. If you hit that guy square flush with the calm of your hand, it's going to stop him dead in his tracks because he's not going to know what to do. He's going to go, how how the heck did he already hit me? Um, And that's going to really slow somebody down in pass rush. That's one thing I would say the biggest coaching point I give my centers is you have to be able to get to a stagger at some point. All right. Not necessarily a deep stagger, like a tackle, but you have to get that guy to, to get out of the midline of your body unless you're, you know, a 600-pound bench press guy, which, you know, we don't have – nobody has very many of those guys. You got to get that guy out of the center of your body and be able to get to a, a tight stagger knowing the ball's behind you because I'm going to have to be able to brace. One of the things that I've learned for an interior player in the first phase in my coaching progression and pass protection is you got to be able to stop a bull rush. If I can't stop a bull rush, then nothing else matters. If chop, swim. <laughs> right. None of that other stuff matters. And the only way you're going to be able to stop a bull rush is be able to get to a stagger and be able to hop and spread back, right? And, and that's one of the things that um, I got pretty good at as a center um, is that I learned how to – we used to call it hop, hop, and steer, all right? So I'm going to hop, hop, and spread my feet, and then I'm going to try to steer that guy out of the middle of my body to try to deflect him to one side or the other just in case the quarterback is a little bit tight to me. So – that's a couple things in pass pro um, that, that I did, you know, that I still teach my guys today is, is that punch right in the top of the helmet and then hop, hop, steer, and getting back to a stagger versus those tight shades. When, when you gave that so, – so my always worry, I was only a backup center, so I didn't have to deal with it. I, I started at guard, but if anything were to happen, I had to go to center. But mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I loved it, and I had stole that from our center, you know, kind of stabbing that guy, especially if he's going to be on my non-snap snap hand kind of stabbing mm-hmm. that that face kind of right to the face and, and kind of slows him down uh the yep. one the part that always worried me was when he's on my snap hand and now I snap and now it was like I didn't I I sometimes got nervous to throw that left hand to the shade on my right because it felt like I was exposing that shoulder um and now you know I was worried about that guy grabbing that shoulder and throwing me by uh, mm-hmm. Did you ever run into a guy that that does that a lot? Did you have any answers for that? Was it you know? Did you give a fake hand? Did you do some different things? H- have you seen that often? Uh, I might have just been like I said. I never actually played. I was always just worried about it. Yeah, yeah, and a hundred percent correct. Right, that's something that I, I talk to my guys. One of the things I equate pass protection to is like being a baseball pitcher. 
All right. So if you're going to be an MLB pitcher, you got to have a great fastball. If you don't have a fastball, unless you're a knuckleball pitcher or you got, you know, you got to have something that you can blow by someone to get a strike. All right. So for me, that is your typical pass set square, two hands, one hand, whatever you end up wanting to teach control in the pocket. For me, that punch, that's something that's like a slider, right? It's third and eight. It's third and nine. I got to get off the field. This is going to be a pass rush situation. I've been throwing fastball, throwing fastball, throwing fastball. I got to get this guy out. I got to do something a little bit different than the counter punch off of that. Kind of what you said about the, him coming back across my face is I'm going to fake that, anticipate that he's going to try to come back across and I teach the drop your inside hand and come up back underneath and leverage him and try to torque him back the other way. So there's kind of a teaching progression with it. Um, but I really think that baseball analogy, whether it's tackles, guards, centers, when it comes to pass pro, you got to have a fastball, whether you're a tackle and you're going to take three kicks and you're going to read it and lag point reads or, you know, getting to your spot or your vertical set guy, that's your fastball. Guards and centers, the same thing. And then the better you get, the more you can add to your repertoire, the more guys you can get out, right? If you can develop a slider or something different, a jump set, um, you know, inside hands, getting long, mixed hands, all those kind of things can give you a chance to be able to, you know, be able to block guys when it's third and eight and the game's on the line. Are, are you, and, I, and I've heard it both ways, and both ways make sense to me, or maybe you're just, you, you, you're fine with both of them. Are you more of a you know, slider with your pass set as a guard tackle to the man side or to the zone side? You know, I've had coaches that, um, and maybe that didn't even make sense, but I've had, you know, coaches that say, uh, when I was playing, and we had four different offensive line coaches, but I've had coaches that say, hey, when you're on the man side, you're kind of on your own. And so, you know, mess with your set a little bit, you know, keep guys guessing. That's when you need to throw, you know, your change up, your curveball, your slider. And then I've also had guys, you know, say that, no, don't do it on the man side because if they're going to twist, we got to be on the same uh, – at the same depth, so do it on the slide side. Uh, are you one way or the other, or, or are you try to, are you kind of give them a little bit more freedom for wherever it is? Yeah, one of the things that I believe in that is, is basing pass protection, I think at times we get – as coaches, we, we like the man slide idea, and, and I like – catering it to to where my good pass protectors are so for instance i like having my man side as my better pass blockers right so when i meet with our centers and i talk our centers through pass protection you know and you're doing your slides and your ripper lizzes when the center controls the protection i'm going to tell the center to error on the side of leaving the man side to jimmy and joe because Jimmy and Joe are better pass protectors if everything's equal, right? right? If I'm not getting blitz, if I'm not getting pressure, if I walk up there and one of the keywords that I have my tackles say is I tell them on passing downs, you need to tell the center I'm okay or alert. All right. I'm okay. Tells the center. I got nothing out here. I got a base. Look, we got a four man front or a three man front. Okay. Well now the center's going to know I'm going to go rip rip because I'm going to slide away from the two better pass protectors and give help and give the extra blocker to the zone side so for me my better pass blockers are the ones that we're going to slide away from now that doesn't always happen right I mean it's not always that scenario you have to slide into pressure and all those kind of things I would err on the side of taking a little bit more and working a little bit more more to the man side actually um, I think that you when you know your man you have to find ways because as soon as guys feel that the slide went away from them and they know it's a man scenario. Um, 
you're going to get a better pass rush, right? When that three technique feels like the center slid to him and it's three on two over there with the five technique and the three, right? I mean, sometimes you even watch clips, those guys, you know, they slow down because they know they're about <laughs> yeah. to get double teamed, you know? Yep. So for me, I think the changeups are really good to the man side because those guys are going to get a little bit tougher situations and a little bit harder pass rush to be able to just hang on for another second. You gave that guy a little bit of a different look. And by doing that, it really helps you get to be able to get the ball off. Is that something that, I mean, we're, you know, and again, you, you, you talk to a hundred offensive line coaches and 50 of them will say they love, you know, one-on-one -on -one pass rush and 50 of them will say that they can't stand it. You know, where do you kind of stand with that knowing that, yeah, it's a defensive drill. Yeah, they're probably going to win. But at the same time, that's kind of how, you know, life as an offensive lineman is. And it's a really good challenge and also a really good opportunity to, to work on, you know, your three different pitches, if you will. Yeah. I, what, so there's two sides of that conversation for me. I think the first side of that conversation is 100% one-on-one pass rush has its place. I think if you talk to any offensive coordinator in college football, they're going to tell you the same thing about seven on seven, right? Tell you about Skelly. But too much of it can be unrealistic to what the game of football really is, right? Same thing with inside drill, right? You have to have inside drill. You have to have inside drill mm -hmm. to set the pads and be physical and do all those kind of things. But too much of it, when you end up getting 11 guys in the box and I'm standing there as the O-line guy and you look out there and be like, you know, we have wideouts, right? You know, like there's like some other people out here on the field that you have to defend and it kind of loses its point a little bit, right? So for me, one-on-one -on -one pass rush is that thing where you are 100% correct. It's a laboratory. I tell my guys, try something different. I'd rather you fail now or me coach you now, not necessarily fail because you didn't give up, but you lose a rep now as opposed to, again, a two-minute scenario, we got no timeouts and you give up a sack because you try a different technique that you're, you're struggling in pass pro, you don't know what to do, you're trying to change it up, you try something you really haven't tried. One of the other things that we've done, I think we did a pretty good job of um, at Manchester was we kind of changed up one-on-one -on -one pass rush too. I like the twist period. Um, you get the five guys up there and you either, you point to guys, or you say a protection and the D-line coach, you know, is going to do different twists. I like that period. And that is another one where it's like, I can only do that about once a week before I want to lose my mind. It's like, okay, that's enough twisting and running into all my guys. Everybody follow, you know, like, that's, that's enough. You know, okay, we're good. Um, but it has its point, right? It has its place. The other thing that we did, because I was a coordinator at Manchester University for three years, and to try to – or sorry, for four years, um, and I coached the offensive line for three of those, one of the things that we did was we incorporated seven-on-seven seven and one-on-one -on -one pass – not one-on-one -on -one pass rush, but kind of twist periods. We called it nine-on-nine. -nine. So mm -hmm. we had the center, the guard, the tackle, and the skill players out there, pass rush with Skelly going on. And by doing that, it kind of gave the quarterback a realistic clock in his head where it's like, hey, yeah, the left guard just got beat. You better start scrambling. You know, like this is a game scenario um, to try to change that up so we weren't doing one-on-ones every single day and kind of rotated those drills. I like that. I've seen a few teams that have done it. You know, I, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing, you know, I was going to ask too, you know, you talk about, you know, five man protection or you're talking about, you know, third down scenarios and, and teams go to the, the bear look, you know, be it an even front, you know, and they walk a dude up in a zero and they got the dual threes, you know, or, or it's an odd team and they go five across, you know, how much of that are you, are you guys doing? First of all, you know, how much five man protection and then, you know, how much do you feel like you have to work, you know, a lot of those twists and those man situations and those things you got to pass off 
because I, you know, I know when we were in college, to me, that was like one of my most, I shouldn't say favorite, but it was fascinating to really see, you know, good offensive linemen pick that stuff up, see it and, and all the different intricacies and things that would go into, you know, man, there's a lot of things that can actually happen when teams and defenses would get into this, especially in third down. No doubt. And one of the things that I love doing is if I can get my hands on NFL tape, I love watching NFL film for purely the pass protection stuff because some of the blitzes you see in the NFL and then you, and then all of a sudden magically the five guys up front pick it all up, right? Somehow that the left tackle knew to come down on the four eye and this guy was going to drop and all that. I just think it's absolutely fascinating. And so I'm with you. We see a lot of third down defenses, people trying to get that solid call, that man call up front, you know, five on five and then running the twist games. I think with five-man protection, one of the big things you have to do with that stuff is you have to get your center back, and he has to get even with the guards and the tackles. Um, they all have to, you know, you want to call it sink and sort, you know, whatever you want to do. I don't think you can typically just straight up man block it because they're going to be on different levels. And when you're going to get picked and give up sacks versus that stuff, whether it's odd or bare, is when the D-line's able to get you on different levels and be able to pick you off. I think that the base principles of passing off twists the two phrases I use are rip the sink off the wall and trap the penetrator a lot of the time those make it easy for those guys to remember that because in most scenarios you're either going to rip the sink off the wall where you're forcing the exchange with the guy looping back around with an outside player or you've got the penetrator coming to you and as soon as you feel it your eyes go and you trap the penetrator and you get that shut off immediately with those two coaching points, you can work when those guys get off the ball to be able to pass the bare, stuff, bare front stuff off with people trying to pick you all the time. Um, and some of it is game plan too, right? You watch the tape and, and you chart it and you do the odds, right? The odds say that, you know, this guy's going to drop out. They haven't showed this. And if they end up running this blitz or they blitz this guy, this is our answer and this is what we're going to do. So we do run quite a bit of five-man protection at Emporia State. Um, you know, Coach Higgins, we, we were going to drop back and throw the ball, and they do a great job with that. And I, my job as a, to be a great offensive line coach is to be able to get the ball off, right, to keep that guy upright, to give him enough time to get the ball off. Well, Coach, I, I know kind of a lot of times the answer for at least watching them in the NFL a, a few years ago, and, and I'm sure they've, they've made adjustments now, but when you get that five-man across, and I hear it from a lot of co college coaches too, but they get those five across uh, a lot of times – guys are going to go into some type of, of, you know, man, everyone's man, like we've been talking about. Um, yep. the, the, the coaches, the offensive line coach that I know, and maybe it's only one specifically, it's our head coach that I know that, <laughs> that, I mean, he played center at the Eagles for 10 years. And the thing that he hates doing is, is going man across because he feels like he's screwing the center. I think maybe he's had some – he's having some nightmares of, of going against some, some NFL dudes, uh, you know. But yep. – Obviously, as a center, you know, you'd rather not be in that position. And then I watch those NFL tapes and, and they put, you know, they stay in like an even front. So they've got two wide threes, two wide fives, and now they, they walk up uh, their outside rushing linebacker up over the center. And now the center's got this gigantic island against uh, an outside rusher, you know. And yep. so it, it makes it really difficult. It is, is, I mean, is there another answer other than going – uh, you know, man everywhere. I mean, do, do you have the option maybe to slide everything? What What's the thought process there when when you are getting those that five across? 
Yeah, so a couple answers and, and different things you can do is number one, 100%. You can go full slide protection. Um, you know, a lot of, if you have a tight end in, you know, um, I hate putting the tight end on a backside defensive end. So a lot of the time with me, um, if that's going to happen, we're going to put the back over there too. Um, if that's literally the worst case scenario, I, I hate putting tight ends on defensive ends. I think that's just, that's bad matchups, bad football. So, um, you know, we're going to automatically tell the back to go there right now. And you're only going to have about three guys out in the route. So obviously that's a little bit tougher scenario. Um, Another thing you can do is you can pop the center. You can molly the center out. So you can down block with the left guard, down block with the left tackle and get them square in the A gaps. And then you can molly the center out to the oh, defensive like end that. if you don't like if you don't like the matchup for the center. Now again, if and that's based on matchup. I mean the NFL game is a lot about matchups. If they're trying to pick on the center, we'll have him go out to the defensive end. Obviously that can create problems too, but you've at least picked fix the issue of them trying to pick on your center a little bit. So that can work, right? Little, he can pop on the nose and then gap out um, to be able to get out and you can have the back help him um, or he can go right now. Um, so those two things that you could kind of go to to try to prevent that a little bit. Um, but yeah, there's also a reason why a lot of teams are doing that too. You know, that five on five matchup with those guys and the speed packages and all that. Um, it comes down to don't be in third and long. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Yes. Make, make a check and run one back power. That's exactly right. Yeah, let's get some down blocks and some back blocks, and hopefully we can pop one for nine yards, and they won't do that again for the rest of the game. <laughs> that's right. I hadn't thought about Molly in the center out. That's a, that's a great idea. Like you said, if, if they've got a freak out on the outside, then don't do it. But they're going to yeah. bring their freak and put them over the center. It's, it's a, an option to at least slow it down a couple times, hopefully. So you've talked a, a few times about your center being able and talking to him about, you know, the easiest way. And, and I'm sure you guys do it a thousand different ways. So I don't want you to tell your secrets, obviously. But how, how much are you allowing a veteran center to uh, call or switch your protections when he gets in the game? And then, you know, I've always wanted the quarterback to do it because I think he's got the best view. For whatever reason, I think he should have a pretty good idea of where he wants to be protected. But um, at, with certain guys at the high school level, they're not able to do it or, or they've got too much to think about elsewhere. And so uh, it kind of gets put a little bit more on, on our center. Uh, I want to be able to have our center protect and, and call protections and switch. But um, And maybe I just am, am wanting too much out of this, but I don't want them – I don't want him overloaded with having to learn all the different coverages. I want to give him some type of an easy read as a, as a high school center to know, okay, which way, you know, I, I love your idea. Hey, our right side's our best pass pro. Let's, let's always make that the man side unless, or let's majority unless something else. What are some tips or some things you're telling your center to look for when he's making his protection calls? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing is, and I've heard this before, it's, it's got to be a, a, an offensive plan, right? What is our plan overall as an offense, and what are we going to do to protect the quarterback? If it's on the quarterback, then great. As an offensive line coach, I'm going to sit there and, and, you know, coach those guys up because your quarterback's going to tell you what to do. If it's on the center, then one of the things that I believe in is individually meeting with the center. Um, I think that if you're going to have the center – because already calling points in the running game, right? He already does that in, in regardless of the scenario. And he's going to do points in the protection. Now, whether he adjusts it depends on the scheme. But if you're going to have the center be flipping protections, you got to individually meet with him and treat him 
like it's a it's different, right? It's different than a left tackle in pass protection. He's got to know a little bit more. So to me, I think it also depends on what what the guys are, right? Who's your quarterback? Who's your center? I 100% agree with you in the fact that I think it can overload a quarterback. Um, and then also some quarterbacks, you know, I mean, I, I got Peyton Manning back there, or Tom Brady, like, yeah, like he flips protections, you know, like, he's, <laughs> right. you know, like, but if I got a guy back there, that's going to be a first year starter and he's walking out there game one, I'd like, at least when I was a coordinator, you know, I'd like to take a little bit off his plate to be able to do that, you know, to be able to, Hey, you just focus on that part. Let, let trust me and trust the guys up front that we're going to take care of you right now you do get into inherently some of the problems of that he doesn't know hot not hot and they really got to trust those guys up front um i like having the center be able to flip protections because he's in control i think the center's got to be the you know he's got to be the leader of the offensive line you know he's out front he's the apex guy but I think there's a lot, also a lot of value in the quarterback being able to know when he's hot, not hot, and him flipping protections. And if he misses something and he's wrong, right, then he's got to know to get the ball out of his hand faster. Coach, how much, uh, how much chip protection or, you know, help protection have you guys also done? Is that something you guys have, have dabbled in as, as well? I know we're kind of getting into protections here, but I think it's, it, it's, it's all kind of stuff like you said, hey, we're behind the sticks. We know they're going to get after us. They got some good defensive ends and, and pass rushers. And if we're going to rely on, you know, Jimmy and Joe to, to win, you know, four or five times, it's going to be a long night. So is that stuff you guys have kind of looked at? Yeah. So I, I am a firm believer in the difference between a chip and a nudge. A nudge is from a tight end in a hit position. A chip mm -hmm. is from a back coming from a back position. And I am a firm believer in a nudge. I think that, Timing-wise is a lot better for the tackle because it happens faster. I mean, you go back to the, you know, the Howard Mudd stuff, right? The two worst things that can happen in pass protection are time and space. And when that guy comes and that running back comes from the backfield and he's trying to help my tackle, well, there's a lot of space. And if I'm a tackle, I'm taking my sets and my coach is telling me, hey, you can underset this, right? Because you're going to get help on the outside. And I'm taking my three, and I still don't feel that back yet. It's just time and space, right? It just doesn't put me in a good place. I think it really helps when you put that tight end in that hit position, and it happens immediately. Because as a, as a coach, I can sit there and say, hey, as soon as he gets nudged, I want you to go jump him, right? If his, if his hands hit the dirt again because he got his teeth knocked in, then you go get on him right now and get on top of him and end pass protection right now. Or you can set back inside. So. I, I believe in the tight end being in the hip position is, is a lot more effective. I do believe in chipping or excuse me, in nudging people all over the place, right? It comes down to, yes, you need guys out in the route. All right. That's important. But also if the five technique blows by my left tackle and he is a significantly better athlete than him, it doesn't matter anyways. <laughs> so make sure. You know, 100%. So, so you need to make sure that that ball is going to get off. And again, I, I mean, I played basketball when I was a kid, right? There's a reason why zone defense can be effective because I'm not a great athlete. There's a reason why I played offensive line for me and I didn't play wide receiver is because I like eating, you know, I'm a big dude, you know, so like I don't move as well as the wideouts do and as that defensive end does. So even the matchup with me a little bit, even the playing field, and let's make sure we can get in front of him so the ball can actually get off as opposed to the guy, you know, okay, he's going to get out to the flat. That's great. Like he, you know, I mean, the guy been an offensive coordinator. He's like the third read in the progression, 
right? I'm not even going to get to my first read if the five technique blows by my tackle. Yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I mean, if it's, if it's you know, hard zone drop teams and things like that, I mean, a lot of times they'll see, you know, the, the tight end nudge and, you know, they drop and they run to their cone or they run to wall and, and you get a lot of, you know, cheap first downs. I think being able to dump it off to, you know, the, the tight end and, and things like that. Now, is that something where when you guys teach, you know, the, the nudge, if, if – you know, there's another edge threat and that guy comes, obviously the tackle's in a position to take the guy that goes under. Is he still going to work through that guy or does he just take him? You know, how do you guys kind of teach, you know, that nudge technique when you now you have a blitzer and then he still has to be able to get out or is that something you guys teach him just to latch on and you're going to be in in protection on this case? Yeah, it just depends on the protection. But the biggest thing is he has to exit through the outside shoulder of a blitzer. He can't dip underneath it. And it's the same thing if you were running, you know, boot or naked or, you know, bringing him back across face and putting him in the flat and you were trying to get out to it. He has to go through that outside shoulder, that defender. At the very least, that angle of him going through the outside shoulder is going to give the tackle enough room to get back on his rush line too. One of the things that happens if you're going to nudge on the play side with that tackle and that tight end releases out in the flat or vertical underneath it, he's going to undercut the tackle and they're going to run into each other and fall down. So by him releasing outside, it naturally widens that guy outside. So he doesn't run into the tackle, which is, can be a problem when you're nudging with a tight end because they run into each other and they trip each other up. So he's got to make sure he gets out of the way. So I think that's the biggest coaching point with that understanding that that guy's coming from wide chipping through his outside shoulder, just like if you were running a booter naked to the flat. Good point. Coach. So, so, um, is that anything that you're working like do you get to work that on one-on-ones with that nudge or it's pretty easy for those guys yeah I mean I, that's one of those I don't typically overcoach it you know gotcha. the, the big the biggest thing I tell the tight end is if I'm putting you there to help the tackle help the tackle <laughs> you know sometimes <laughs> you know they will they'll think that yeah coach I put a hand on him like listen man you're not giving the DN a high five like you know like <laughs> You know, like you need to put your shoulder under his chin strap and knock that guy inside. Um, and once those guys kind of get a feel for it, it, it's pretty natural. So, yeah, I, I don't really overcoach it a whole lot. Again, I don't like asking tight ends to be in really three phases of the game. You know, if you ask your tight end too much, right, obviously run blocking for me is number one. If you can't mm -hmm. run block, you can't play tight end. Number two is being able to run routes and being able to be a functional pass catcher if you really start getting in that third area of also being involved in protections and typically tight ends are all in special teams, it's just too much. Right. So yeah, I just, I work with those guys and they get a feel for it. And the big thing is just be physical with that guy and put your shoulder pad underneath his chin strap and make sure that he knows that you're there to nudge him. Okay, coach. So, so flipping it a little bit into, into run game, um, you know, in the, in the coordinating behind it. So uh, obviously, you've been a coordinator before. You're going to be offensive line and, and run game coordinator. So, so uh, again, you know, now, so when you're looking, you know, you come in on a Sunday and, and you're looking to set up what your run game plan is for this next week, what's your, what's your process with that? I mean, do you have a certain play that you like and, and, and you're going to look at, you know, what formations can we run it out of this week? Are you going to put up all the formations and, and see – you know, what plays work with those formations, with how the defense is set up that week? What's your kind of thought process? How do you go through, um, you know, developing your run game plan? Number one thing when I walk in on a Sunday is dudes, dudes, dudes. 
All right, I'm going to watch the tape, and I'm going to see if there is a guy up front that we can't block. I think that is the first phase of any time I'll come in. When I was at West Virginia, um, we played Pitt, and they had Aaron Donald, you know, and we were a zone blocking team, you know, so we had to find ways to be able to, you know, I mean, it was a real deal now, right? Run checks, you know, or be able to just do certain things to be able to identify, you know, guys like that. So I think that's number one. Number two is I really break the running game down into four different categories. I mean, I think when the running game boils down to it, it boils down to zone blocking, which you could argue that inside zone or mid zone and wide zone, right? Wide zone is, is kind of a different animal, but it is zone blocking. All right. You're working zones. Number two is gap scheme, right? How are you going to run gap scheme? Number three is pin pull. All right. How are we going to run some form of pin pull or G scheme? And number four is man scheme right? ISO, you know, typically option kind of falls into that a little bit. So then I look at those four play categories. Then I look at the defensive structure, all right? How can I take advantage of my chess pieces to be able to gain an advantage on the defense using these schemes? So how can I line people up to have a good zone scheme run, right? Whether it's tight zone, mid zone, wide zone, you know, whatever you want to run. Same thing with the gap scheme, right? How am I going to be able to get the three technique over here? How am I going to be able to find my matchup, right? I think this guy's a little bit better player. Or this guy's not as good of a player, and this is how they play it. I think that's number two, right? You got to make sure that the chess pieces are in alignment, um, that your guys can have success, and then really just fitting it into those categories. And then finally, the last one that I think is a little bit overlooked is how does a defense react to motion? Um, I One of the... Early cutups that I watch when I come in and watch film is I'm going to watch how a defense reacts to motion, not necessarily shifts because shifts and going to unbalance is a little bit different animal. But when you run that true fly zip motion or you're going to motion to a different formation, are they a spin team? Do they flip the front? Are they going to bump their linebackers? How does it change the coverage? And how can I take advantage of that by what they have to do in the back end to be able to cover up the eligible receivers? How can I take advantage and gain angles in the running game? So really, that's the, the things that I look at. Number one is matchups, right? What guys, who are my best guys against their guys, and where can I find matchups? How can I take those four categories of plays, put the formations up there to get the chess pieces, how I want to align them, and then finally how the defense reacts to motion. And then once I have that, then I start drawing things up, and we start going from there. So, so when you initially talk about, you know, just looking for dudes, is, is that the first thing you're going to do? Or are you going to watch a couple games all the way through? Uh, that's, that's where I get tripped up is, is it's like I love watching. I hear it seems like I get a lot out of the cut-ups that we have, you know, and, and going by formation and looking at it there. But then the games that it seems like that something really good comes to me, it's almost that it's, that it's from just watching film. And I've watched a lot of just – the full game almost and, and it comes to me and I don't do that nearly enough what's your what's your thought on that or is that what you're doing when you're looking at dudes you're just going to watch a couple of games all the way through yes I'm going to watch the I'm going to obviously we cut everything up you know and I watch cut-ups as we go throughout the week but when I come in before I start watching cut-ups I will pick either common opponents like teams that I think are similar to us offensively right the formations and that's kind of similar to watch the whole game or I'm going to pick an offensive line coach from another team that I just have a lot of respect for. You know, like I think, hey, he's really good. You know, I think Coach Smith at, you know, university is a really, really good offensive line coach, and he's better than me at this. And I'm going to sit here and watch what he did. You know, and how did he find things? And did guys give him problems? And did he identify someone? 
And can you tell that they're doing something different because I've watched their games and I've watched consistently what they do. And I kind of have a general idea of it. You can kind of tell if they've adjusted things based on a certain player, you know, or a certain alignment or a certain scheme. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Then after I watch that for a little while and watch the game flow, then I'll start watching the cutups, you know, your P and tens and all those kind of things and formations. When you were, go ahead, Wallace. I just say I said one question. You know, when, when you were an OC, then and you kind of go to you know like your your third down plan. You know, what was kind of your third down you know philosophy? You know, was it you know I'm gonna try to get the ball to my best players? Um, you know, one of my my philosophies was you know I'd been in college and you get you get into ten personnel. Now you're gonna see every defense known to mankind. Well, if I got into twelve personnel or I got into bunch, you know I knew maybe one or two checks or one or two coverages they're gonna play. What was kind of your philosophy as far as, you know, being able to convert some big third downs? Yeah, I think the couple, number one is you still have to make the defense defend the running game. And one of the things that we had the advantage of um, is I had a, my previous head coach would go for it a lot on fourth down, you know, and I knew that as a play caller. So I knew I could be a little bit more aggressive with my running play calls on a third and seven you know, in the certain situations, right, on the certain parts of the field. You could be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I think that's number one. And I'm not talking like draws and, you know, draw plays and quarterback draw. I'm talking like the defense has to be able to still think on third and six that it's in the back of their head a little bit that I'm going to line up in 11 personnel and I'm going to run power right down your throat, you know, to be able to get a first down. I think that's number one. I think that slows down pass rush. Then number two um, is really – finding the the playmakers. I think third downs, I think situational offense is based on creating matchups for your best players and then being able to execute in those scenarios. So, you know, uh, I've been fortunate to have some really good tailbacks, double screens, you know, things like that. I like those things on third and long, um, you know, quick game, you know, whatever the scenario is or whatever the concept is, it's about finding the matchups that for your best players to be able to execute on third downs. So, I think that would be really the two things that I went into a game with. I kept my third down package very simple. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to call something twice, you know, and I, I, you can't be afraid to call things multiple times if it works or even if it doesn't work the first time and you feel like, hey, like I can get this coached up on the sidelines, I'm going to call it again because third downs and situations are so complex anyways, especially for an entire offense, quarterback, you name it in those scenarios. They're already complex. So instead of doing, you know, 12 different play calls for third and long, pare that down a little bit so you can go over the different scenarios, man, zone, pressure, drop eight, you know, all those different things. And then finally, hey, if we want to pop a run in there or, or a couple of them, these are going to be my third down run calls when I think we can get one. Um, so those are really my – that's really my third down scenario with that stuff. Well, Coach, it's it's kind of flown by for us, but but coming up on an hour now, and and before we let you go, the last thing I love to ask guys is is when you are watching another team's offensive line, what's some things that they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Yeah, I think there's a couple things, um, really two things that I look at. I, I am a body language guy. I think your film, when I watch your tape it tells me what kind of coach, what kind of culture you have, what kind of team you have. That's one of the exciting things for me right now with watching uh, the film for Emporia State. I watch the tape and I see great body language and I see physical and I see all those awesome things, great culture on that team because it just, it, it shouts at me when I watch the film. I'm a firm believer in when you take the line of scrimmage, you take the line of scrimmage with intent. 
I think body language when you finish blocks. Are you a guy that finishes two steps through the echo of the whistle, or are you a guy looking behind you where the ball's going to be? That's body language, right? That's, that's shown on tape. And are you the kind of guy that when your buddy gets a knockdown and he puts another guy's face in the dirt, are you going to go over and give him some knuckles? All right, are you going to go chest bump him? All right, those things really count to me. I think that's, that's the sign of a great offensive line is when they just constantly have great body language and you can just see it on tape. I've never met you as a coach. I never met you as a player, but I can tell what kind of player and coach you are by what you do on tape. That's number one. And then number two is how do you pick up non-traditional looks? I love seeing great offensive line play. I think I'm in the same boat as you guys that when you watch a play, you know, you're watching film and, and it, it spits out the other side and it's a cross dog blitz inside or some crazy look and you go, wow, good for that guy, <laughs> right? Like, hey, wow, like great job picking that up. I like seeing how guys are able to pick up non-traditional looks because I think that shows what kind of coach they are, what kind of kids they have, because there's something to be said for just coaching the game of football. It's not always going to be perfect. One of the things I tell my offensive linemen all the time, and I've had some really smart guys and some guys that have gone on to be doctors and lawyers and way smarter than me, football's not a science experiment. It's not a 20-step process at times, you know, do this, do that, do this. It is, you got to fix problems on the field. And I think that comes when you've coached guys and they understand the game and they're able to fix things that not necessarily the exact base look. So if two things that I look for in a good offensive line and good offensive film is body language and, and how they're able to pick up things when it's not exactly perfect. Coach, man, it's like Coach Harper said, it's flown by and it, it's been an absolute blast for us. I got a ton of notes here and, you know, just something about being able to talk to, uh, you know, ball coaches from Ohio. You know, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but every time I, I go to Ohio or talk to guys, you know, from Ohio, you know, they, they love ball and, and they love the, uh, the intricacies of it. But at the same time, it's not like it's, it's rocket science. It's always a uh, pretty practical stuff that, you know, even guys like us can digest, you know, several hours away. So wish you best of luck with your new job, man. And, and best of luck going South. No, I appreciate it very much guys. Appreciate everything you do. Love listening to the podcast. I take notes and I think I speak for a lot of us out there that we really appreciate what you guys are doing. So thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.